Hey, Moving Forward listeners, a quick disclaimer before you listen to this episode, which is part of the book writing miniseries that I recorded several years ago. The books I was a co-author on are no longer in print, and I have since permanently parted ways with my former co-author. As such, I have edited these episodes, removing as many mentions of the titles as possible. I'm also adding this disclaimer to minimize any confusion. The basic information contained within is still helpful, which is why I've decided to keep them on this podcast. I also encourage you to listen to episode 388 to learn more about the reasons behind my decision. Now that we've covered that, I hope you enjoy this series and find these episodes helpful. Thank you. Hey, John Lim here. We're moving forward with episode 236. Let's go ahead and jump right in part one. So this past weekend, if you were on social media, if you're a fan of the Karate Kid movie, and uh, I've talked about the movie and Cobra Kai on a couple of episodes of Moving Forward. This past weekend, Saturday, was the 35th anniversary of the first Karate Kid. Now, it came out when I was a kid. I didn't get to see it in the theater. I ended up seeing it uh, much later on. But, I mean, that was a movie that was a staple for me. And, in fact, I was texting one of my friends, and we were just talking about, wow, 35 years And that movie just has an incredible timeless quality to it, even though, of course, you can tell that it was set in the 80s and it's very vintage looking uh, for that. I mean, it captures the spirit of that period, but there's an essence to it. The storytelling is just so uh, well done that it really does stand the test of time. And I think it speaks to why the sequel series uh, Cobra Kai is so successful. And it just got me thinking. I mean, there's certain things from childhood that just stand the test of time. And uh, no matter how many times you revisit them, you you enjoy the nostalgia, you enjoy the trip down memory lane, but you also enjoy uh, picking up new things that maybe you didn't notice before. Uh, Do you have something that you love from your childhood? It could be a movie, a TV show, a book. I'd love to hear about it. Something that just has that incredible timeless quality. And yet you look back and you think, oh my gosh, has it really been that many years? I'd love to hear about it. All right, let's go into part two. And I've gotten so many questions about editors that I I want to really dig in a little bit more. So this is almost a mini series within a series. And here today, I'm going to talk about the ideal editor workflow. Now, this is what worked great for me as someone who really thrives on being detail-oriented, specific, and who can appreciate very competent project management. Your experience may differ depending on who you hire as an editor, but I just want to break down very specifically why Megan was such a great editor. What were the things that really stood out about the process that made it so smooth and just created this incredible workflow? Uh, let's talk about what I think an editor should be. And this is my opinion, but I really think that an editor, a good editor should be a project manager. A good editor should look at a book as a project with specific goals, tasks, assignments, uh, uh, duties, as well as deadlines. And a great editor is, is able to work with a writer, or in our case, two writers, and wrangle the different writing styles, the different time frames, the different commitments, and, and just kind of lasso us in, almost being a cat wrangler to make sure that we're all on the same page. And believe me, that was no easy task on this book. Uh, in terms of specifics, uh, I'll highlight a couple things that worked really well. 
uh, she went through the chapters and this was the workflow and usually it'd be a clip about five to seven a week sometimes it was more other times it might be less depending on you know how busy things were and she used a color coding highlighting system and she would go through the document she would highlight uh, specific things that stood out so I'll give you an example blue uh, meant that we were using too much passive voice so she was indicating to us you may want to say it clearer say it with fewer words say it more directly uh, red meant uh, consider cutting it out and that's one of the things that you'll find as you go through the editing process there's certain passages that you absolutely love and that you think are brilliant pros that just came out of your fingertips your editor may say you know what you may want to cut that and sometimes it's painful but you have to listen to your editor especially since they're looking at it from a very different objective eye. Because sometimes the editor will see something that a writer will not, especially when a writer has gotten so close that they lose objectivity in looking at the work. Uh, Green was uh, highlighting what she liked. So Megan was also very mindful of making sure she wasn't just nitpicking, but also pointing out passages and sentences that she really liked. And she had other color uh, codes as well. But I thought that was really clever to come up with this uh, color coding highlighting system so that we could go through and uh, make the changes. In addition, she used notes, and that's something that you can do on Scrivener, but I think Microsoft Office is even better for this, where you can add notes, and she would at the notes would typically be things like clar clarify this, or uh, this part's confusing, or where she would make other suggestions. So notes were obviously a big part of this process. So it was really like her going through giving us line edits, but also Megan served as our content editor. She was, so she would leave comments about specific parts of the content and look at the overall flow. Did this fit within the, the arc of the story that we were trying to tell? One thing that Megan was very mindful of, it was never rewriting us. And that's something that I think there's a fine line between editing and rewriting. And she always left it to us to make the final decisions. You know, regardless of the fact that she had the highlights and the notes, bottom line, she said to us, ultimately, it's up to you two to decide what to do with my advice. I'm just going through it. I'm giving you my professional opinion. So it's really important that if you work with an editor that you keep an open mind. At the end of the day, we ended up following about 99% of her suggestions, which meant having to go back and rework sections. And it made the book that much better. So really go in with an open mind, but know that an editor is not there to rewrite you, but to give you guidance and suggestions. And probably the most valuable thing, uh, or one of the most valuable things that Megan did was that she initiated weekly calls with us. So uh, we would typically do these on a Friday night, <laughs> which, uh, you know, wasn't always great for my social life, but uh, it was wonderful for the book because that was one of the few times where the three of us could get on the phone together. And sometimes those calls would be five minutes, just doing a check. And other times it would be an hour long. And it was really to debrief, to talk about where we were. We would give, uh, we, we would do a round robin of where we were and we would motivate each other to stay on task and to really keep up with this and Megan would also uh, use it as an opportunity to ask us questions and allow us to ask her questions about her notes and highlighting so that was the basic process it's going to be different for 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 all of you depending on who you hire your homework for this week is as you vet or speak with uh, potential editors, find out what the workflow is. How accessible are they? What kind of value are you getting for your dollar? Uh, if you are interested in working with Megan, she now has a website and she is, I'm excited to share that she is now taking on clients. It's Megan Preho 
Prichodko, P-R-I-K-H-O-D-K-O.com. I'll have it linked in the write-up, which is at bemovingforward.com. Sorry, part three, book that I read, Pachinko by Minji Lee. I give it five stars. The story is really just a sweeping epic tale. It's set in Korea during the early 1900s. It's about a young woman who has an unplanned pregnancy. She's left and abandoned by her lover, and then she is she ends up marrying a young minister who takes her to Japan. Uh, the book is incredibly broad in scope. It's not a genre that I'm normally drawn to, but I was just caught up in it in the language and the writing style. Everything about it is just absolutely beautiful. It just reminded me of a book like Alex Haley's Roots were, were the godfather. It, uh, it's, it was just like a verbal painting. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, it had really incredible drama that kept me on the edge of my seat without being cliched or predictable. I highly, highly recommended. This book was a treasure. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping announcements. Tomorrow, I will be releasing a bonus episode, so watch out for that. And since next week is the 4th of July, episode 238 will air a day early on Wednesday, July 3rd. So have a great week. Tomorrow will be a bonus episode, and we'll be back next week with an episode on Wednesday. And remember, always be moving forward.